Manna or Meatloaf, Episode 21, The Scenic Route. Hello, hello. So I follow a page on Instagram called The Small Seed, and I absolutely love it. They're so full of uplifting thoughts and insightful and faith-filled messages that I wanted to share one of them with you today. So in their post last week, they said that they'd been reminded of a very important word in the scriptures. I myself have seen this word a million times. I've never paid one ounce of attention to it. The word that they brought my attention to was straight. Not as in a straight line, but S-T-R-A-I-T, as in George Strait. They said, quote, When Jesus says the way to heaven is straight and narrow, sometimes we get confused. We think the word is straight, like S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T, meaning without bends, twists, or turns, or uphill climbs. The path of discipleship is often just the opposite. Straight, without the G-H in the middle, means narrow, restricted, rigorous, difficult, and exacting. Choosing Jesus' way often means your path goes uphill. There's disappointment. There's heartache. People let you down. You might feel left out or misunderstood. Even after working hard and doing your best, sometimes you feel like you haven't made any progress at all. But can we let you in on a little secret? The straight and narrow way is also the way with the best views, the highest highs, the greatest joy, the most growth, and the truest friends, end quote. They then went on to send encouragement to all of their followers and testified that the path of discipleship is worth it. Oh, don't you love that? That was from Lizzie, Shauna, and Kim. Thanks, ladies. Their post felt like a powerful message to me, and I've been super excited about this episode ever since then. Because let's face it, even when our course is carefully mapped out, without a doubt, there will be detours. Have you ever taken a detour? So we live in a very small town in northern Utah, and I remember driving around when we first came to the area. I'll never forget the first time we took the other way to the freeway. You know, the long way. (laughs) It was right next to the mountain. The traffic was much, much slower than on the freeway because, of course, it was two lanes and we got behind the farmer and his tractor. But we felt like we could literally reach out and touch the mountain next to us. We saw deer right off the side of the road and the pace was just so much easier and relaxed than being on the freeway. Well, we ended up buying a piece of property for our dream home right along that very road. The scenic route most often takes a little longer, but that detour that day was definitely worth it. We've almost certainly been forced to take a detour when a vehicle in front of us on the freeway has a flat tire or there was an accident of some sort, but aren't those always the times that we're in a hurry? Almost always, right? And taking a detour because of the actions or circumstances of others isn't always fun, convenient, or comfortable, but it always happens, doesn't it? What about the times we take a small detour, just a little one, to see something that catches our attention, and then that leads to another, and yet another, and by the time we eventually find our way back to our original path, we've gathered all kinds of new things, good or bad. I found myself in that scenario multiple times in those very tightly knit residential neighborhoods. You know, the ones that are designed by builders and every other house looks very much like the one before it. And every single street has a cul-de-sac. 
Trying to follow the signs to a garage sale will get you completely lost in one of those. And trust me when I say before the days of GPS on our phones, it was a nightmare. So I was going back with all kinds of things, good and bad. So whether it's the scenic route we find ourselves on because we chose to be there, or the detours we find ourselves taking due to the actions or circumstances of others, like the accident ahead of you, or the detours that come as a result of getting off the original path, it all loosely resembles life, doesn't it? And just like the Instagram post pointed out, it can also look like the path of our discipleship. Remember that straight, S-T-R-A-I-T, in reference to the scriptures, means narrow, restricted, rigorous, difficult, and exacting. And that can be just plain hard. I have a niece who's going through some hard things in her life, and she perfectly illustrated her current circumstance with a photo of her intentions, which was a line made up of dashes that evenly and consistently moved upward at a gradual, even incline, and then reality that crisscrossed all over that line. It was up, then down, then plateaued for a bit, only to drop clear down and stay there for a minute. It was a mess. Because guess what? Sometimes life is a mess. The straight without the GH in the scriptures means not easy, just like life. And that is exactly how I feel with so many things in my own life. Sometimes it just feels like life gets in the way of all my good intentions. I'm in a pretty good routine now about reading my scriptures. But I'm ashamed to say it, it wasn't always that way. My family can honestly tell you that we were really hit and miss with our scriptures. We tried, we always tried, but I didn't master consistency with my kids very well. I'll do really well with clean eating for a minute, for example, and then boom, back to Reese's Fast Breaks. It's just life, right? But what about the detours that those we love take? Those that we don't get a choice in. Watching loved ones take some of the detours through life only to get sidetracked by the riveting views and the unending options can be a real source of worry, concern, and even heartbreak. Just as my thoughts kind of pondered this straight path, not the one without bends or turns, but the one that isn't easy, I immediately thought of some of my very favorite people on earth that just happened to be taking the scenic route through life. The path of discipleship that they were taught as children found them on a detour from this path. Two of them are my brothers, who I simply could not love an ounce more. The most amazing men. I also thought of all of those in scriptures who taught their children to follow the straight and narrow path, but for whatever reason, they took a detour and found themselves on the much longer, more scenic route. Lehi and Sariah were perfect examples in the Book of Mormon. They had children who left the faith. Alma, Adam and Eve, and even our heavenly parents sorrowed when a third of their spirit children chose another path. See D&C 29.36 for that one. We are all on our own individual journeys, and we know that agency is one of the greatest gifts of this perfect plan of happiness and salvation, right? But it can sure feel like a jab to the heart when those we love choose to use it in a way that goes contrary to our beliefs, can't it? 
I love the story of Alma and his son, Alma the Younger. You can read all about it in the Book of Mormon. It's in the Book of Messiah, chapter 27. But for the sake of time, I'm going to summarize for you. Alma the Elder had been a wicked priest for the corrupt King Noah. But after hearing the prophet Abinadi speak, he was converted, he repented of his sins, and went on to become one of the high priests of the church in Zarahemla and a prophet of God himself. So his son, Alma the Younger, took the scenic route and ended up on a detour of major proportions. He became a serious enemy to the church. Can you imagine how painful that must have been for his father? I'm sure that because he himself had been on the path that his son was on, to some degree at least, he probably wanted desperately to save him from the consequences of some of those decisions he was making. One of the things I love, though, about this story is really a solution for so many of our interactions with others, because in chapter 27, you don't read anywhere about Alma, the father, judging, preaching, shaming his son and his friends. Instead, the record shares that he fasted and prayed with all the energy of his heart. Guess what else he did? He invited his village you know that village that it takes to raise a child? In Messiah 27, 21 through 22, it says, quote, And he caused that the priests should assemble themselves together, and they began to fast and to pray to the Lord their God. End quote. He didn't suffer in silence or become bitter and resentful. It sounds to me like he did all that he could. He trusted God and then asked others to help him. Any parent will tell you it absolutely takes a village. So who's in yours? Who are you allowing to help you? Okay, back to the story. So then the miracle came, right? We know that an angel appeared to Alma the Younger. And for those of you who don't remember that story, this was just a teaser. Go read or reread it to feel the power of Alma's conversion. But let's focus again to Alma the Father's heartfelt prayer on behalf of his son. Because isn't that our first line of defense? I know that when we're watching those we love take the scenic route that twists and turns and takes them ever further from their starting point of faith, that's what we do. We pray for them. But how many of us build a village and ask for the people in that village for their help? I believe every one of those prayers will be answered, probably not with the visitation of an angel, from heaven anyway, but according to the Lord's will and timing, because I also believe that the Lord delights in answering our prayers on behalf of those we love. I really believe that. A few years ago, I was struggling with a child and questioning some of their motives. It began to weigh on me really heavily, and I was very uptight and stressed out. So I went to see a friend. As we talked, she asked me one simple question. She said, you know there's only one Savior, right? Her response took me by surprise. I was like, um, yeah, obviously. What does that have to do with anything I'm talking about? She went on to explain that when I tried to save my children, I was trying to do the Savior's job, and that there's only one Savior, and it wasn't me. My job was to love, and to love, and to love, in whatever actions helped that child feel my love. She then said the best thing I could do was to get out of the way and let the Savior do his job. And besides that, I could point that child to their Savior, even if it was just by living his laws and letting his light shine through me. What an eye-opener. I've shared that repeatedly, and I'll be grateful to Mindy forever for sharing it with me. 
In Moroni 9.22, that lesson of trusting God to save our loved ones was confirmed when Mormon wrote to his own son Moroni. He said, quote, My son, I recommend thee unto God, and I trust in Christ that thou wilt be saved, and I pray unto God that he will spare thy life to witness the return of his people unto him or their utter destruction, end quote. I think it's important for us to remember that none of our lives are like the perfectly straight line that objectively moves forward toward heaven. Even if we are trying our hardest, we take the scenic route. Often, with our discipleship and with our lives, we need to grant others the same space to find their way. Sure, we're going to pray our hearts out for them and live the gospel out loud so we can be good examples and we're going to build and invite our villages to help us. But in the end, God will provide for us and for them. President Henry B. Eyring has said, quote, God has devised means to save each of his children. For many, that involves being placed with a brother or a sister or a grandparent who loves them no matter what they do. From before the world was, a loving Father in heaven and his beloved Son loved and worked with those who they knew would wander. God will love them forever. End quote. I love that so much. Doesn't that just hit you? God has devised a means for saving each of his children, those on the straight and narrow path, the one that never bends or twists, those who read their scriptures every single day of their lives, and those who don't, those whose lives resemble the lines of a heart monitor screen, you know, the ones that drastically go up and down and up and down and up and down, but who are at least trying, and those who aren't even on the path. I hope we can all remember to increase our compassion, lessen our tendency to judge or to preach. We need to stop being the superintendents of others' level of spirituality and just love. Listen with love. Learn with love. Lead with love. And love ourselves when we too are taking the scenic route. I testify with the Instagram bunch at the small seed that the straight and narrow path of discipleship is not easy, regardless of where we are or others are on the path, but it is always worth it. To wrap this one up, I want to share one of my favorite quotes by President Gordon B. Hinckley. I'm sure you've heard it. Quote, anyone who imagines that bliss is normal is going to waste a lot of time running around shouting that he's been robbed. Most putts don't drop. Most beef is tough. Most children grow up to be just people. Most successful marriages require a high degree of mutual toleration. Most jobs are more often dull than otherwise. Life is like an old-time rail journey. Delays, sidetracks, smoke, dust, cinders, and jolts, interspersed only occasionally by beautiful vistas and thrilling bursts of speed. The trick is to thank the Lord for letting you have the ride. End quote. While you're trying to keep the important things important this week, remember that sometimes the scenic routes we end up taking are the detours that actually end up taking us or our loved ones closest to our eventual destinations. It may be the long way, but in the end, the views will be magnificent.